0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. On Acts chapter 13, uh, verses 13 to 43, Um, as uh, as we return to hear God speak through His Word now as God continues to speak to us in worship, uh, we're returning to Acts um, in our in our journey here at, at Resurrection Community, if you're with us regularly, the past two weeks being Palm Sunday and Easter in the church calendar, we stepped away from our way through Acts, um, and so now we're back uh, back to Acts. And the, the beauty of Acts uh, in the season after Easter, in particular, is that in, as if you saw my Resurrection weekly email this week, I mentioned that in the in the traditional church calendar, Easter lasts for 50 days. It's not just one. Not just one day, not just a big celebration and then pff, it's over, but Easter lasts for 50 days. Um, in, in terms of even following the biblical story um, of the 40 days that Jesus was alive on earth, um, appearing to his disciples and to other people, and then on to the celebration of Pentecost, uh, which we saw at the beginning of Acts, uh, the, the Holy Spirit fell. And the great thing about Acts in this season after Easter is this is, this is what happened after Easter. The Acts is the continuation of what Jesus has done, the continuation of the resurrection, the formation of the resurrection community of the church. And so now in our story through Acts, we just uh, two, three weeks ago, the last time we were in Acts, we hit a major turning point in the story of Acts up into that point, up in the first 12 chapters of Acts, it's mostly been centered around Jerusalem. Around the church in Jerusalem, with some going out to other parts of the world, going out to Samaria, going up to Antioch to establish a church there, going to the Gentiles through Peter, going to the house of Cornelius. So there's been some going out, Philip uh, and the Ethiopian court official, um, but still mostly centered around the church in Jerusalem and that time. But now, starting in chapter 13, what we saw three weeks ago that from the church in Antioch, which was a major city in the ancient world, Barnabas and Saul, whose name quickly changed to be Paul, to be what he will be called for the rest, uh, the rest of Acts and the rest of history, uh, they were sent out on a mission, uh, sent out directly by the Holy Spirit to go and proclaim the word of God, the good news of Jesus' resurrection, around other places in the Mediterranean. And so they started that. We saw that last time. We saw the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw them overcoming the magician um, and proclaiming God's word uh, on the, um, on the island. What island on the island of Cyprus. So now, uh, throughout the rest of Acts, we're basically, most of the rest of Acts, we're going to see Paul and his companions traveling throughout different places in the Mediterranean and see what happens as the word of God spreads. And as we see, as we reflect, there is good and encouraging news for us as well. So let's read now from Acts chapter 13, starting at verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this sermon of Paul's that was written down for us and preserved for us as your very words for us today. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts, transform us and change us by these words that they might change the way that we think the way that we feel and the way that we live. in Jesus name. Amen. When you think about what you most what, what our world most wants right now right now in our current crisis, in our current situation, what what are we hoping for? You know what what we're hoping for? Some of, us, some of us might think, oh, let's just go back to normal, but most of us know that that's not quite going to work. What we're hoping for, what we desperately want, what many of us, I'm guessing, look in the news every day to see is, is there, is there a treatment? Is there a drug that will work on this virus? Is there progress towards a vaccine that will give us the hope that, that this can all go just into the past, that we can go back to our lives, that we can treat people, that we can heal those who are dying? that we can treat, that we can prevent people from getting sick. We're longing for something to come and bring us rescue. And one of the hard things right now for most of us, since I don't, I don't see anyone in here who's a government official, um, for most of us, there's there's nothing that we can do right now. I don't see anybody in here who's a scientist either, who's working on those treatments. And so for most of us, there's there's really not much we can do we we need somebody else to come and help us we need somebody to tell us what the plan is what's going to work we need somebody to create something new we need a breakthrough a breakthrough in treatment or somebody to tell us actually this isn't this is going to be okay and and that's hard because we're out of control and we're just sitting and waiting we need a rescue And that's, you know, I would love to be able to tell you that, oh, here's what we can each do. This is what you can do to make things better. But the reality is right now, at least in terms of the situation, there's not a lot that we can do. Not in big picture terms. We all have our roles in in caring for one another and helping to love other people and taking care of ourselves, staying safe, following the rule, all these kinds of things. But in the big picture, we feel powerless. And as as many people have commented, times of crisis and trouble often just remind us of that ultimate reality, that in ultimate reality terms, we really are powerless. We don't like hearing that. We would like to hear that there's things that we could do. But the message of Acts here is that we need somebody else. Do you notice when when Paul and Barnabas here are in the synagogue, their offer, their, their request in verse 15, his brothers if you have any word of encouragement for the people say it and i don't know about you but when i hear a word of encouragement if you just ask kind of the average person on the street for the word of for for a word of encouragement they would they would give you something that you can do here's what you can do here's your 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 10 steps to get better your 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 next step here or your next step there it's Uh, a a power of, of, of something positive that you can do, some way you can think differently, something you can do differently, a new habit. That's our general human mindset and hope. We look for what we can do. But that's not the word of encouragement that Paul offers. One of the things that's so notable about his word of encouragement is how many times he simply says, God, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people Israel did this. And verse 19, after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land. Who destroyed those seven nations? According to Paul, God did it. God was the one who did this. After that, he gave them judges. They asked for a king. They didn't choose a king. They didn't figure out a king. God gave them a king. And then in the next verse, he removed their king. And he gave them a new king. And he goes on and on. This is what God has done. And so the great the message of Paul in this in this sermon in the synagogue at Antioch in Pisidia, Pisidian Antioch, is that, is that God has acted, that God is the one who's acted, and that is where we have to look for hope. We look for hope not to what we can do, not to what we can figure out, but to what God has done. And he actually drives it home even more when he gives them their command. What should they do? Did you you notice their command? It's in verse 43. What did they urge them to do? Paul and Barnabas urged them to continue in the grace of God. The command is simply to continue in the grace of God. What is grace? Grace is something that somebody else does for you that you do not deserve. And so the command here is to continue in that race, to receive what God has done. To rest in God's action, to embrace God's action. So Paul's message back then in the synagogue and God's message for us this morning is that God has acted. It's a message of hope. It's a message of encouragement. And our calling in the middle of that is to continue in the grace of God. To absorb that, to receive that to rest in that, to revel in that, to enjoy that, but to keep our focus where it belongs on the message of God, the grace of God that he has brought into our lives. And as we look through this, we see here, like we see similar to some of the other speeches and acts, we can see three aspects of God's action that that are worth focusing on. We see first that God's action is rooted in the story, rooted in God's story. And then we see that God's action is focused on Jesus. Always focused on Jesus. It's rooted in the story. It's focused on Jesus. And then God's action comes with a warning. We cannot miss that. So it's rooted in the story. It's focused on Jesus. And it comes with a warning. So let's first see the the rooted in the story. And, And this is notable. Sometimes things are notable when they're different. Sometimes they're notable when they're the same. You might have thought when you were listened to this, you might, I feel like I've heard this before. This, this sermon of Paul sounds a lot like the speech that Stephen gave when he was on trial before the Sanhedrin. Remember Stephen, one of the first deacons, and the seven men chosen to serve, and he was disputing, and they, they didn't like what he was saying about the resurrection of Jesus. They hauled him into court, and they say, kind of speak for yourself. And he just goes back through the history. And here Paul does it again. Peter did it on the day of Pentecost. He brought in references from the Old Testament time and time again. Because they're making the point each time they're telling us that God's action, his his action in the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus, is still rooted in the story of God's work in his people. That it's one continuous story throughout all the Bible. And to get this right, to understand rightly the depth of what God has done for us, the depth of the character of God, God's love and provision for us, God's sustaining grace for us, we have to understand the story. We have to read the story rightly. We have to embrace the whole story. We can't just jump in at one place and pick a verse here and pick a verse there. But we have to join with Paul in understanding what God has done. And that throughout all of the Bible, that as we read all the stories in the Bible, that these are not simply moral stories. These are not fables with little neat character lessons. Sometimes the the character lessons from the Bible are not very clear. There's some there's some interesting characters there, and you're like, am I supposed to be like that? Am I am I supposed to be like that guy Samson in the Old Testament who killed the lion with his bare hands? I that doesn't seem quite right, and it's not. <laughs> that is not the calling of that story. It's not the calling of many stories. There's not. There's many people we are not to imitate. Uh, there are many people that serve as mirrors in whom we see our own character, but in whom we see even more clearly, as Paul emphasizes here, the grace of God. That even as his people turn away from him, even as they rejected him, God's grace continues. And that story comes right here to this synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, where Paul is, you know, he's there. There's this tension of Jews. Have the Are the Jews going to accept Jesus and accept the apostles or reject him? And he comes and tells them straight up, like your leaders in Jerusalem, they missed it. They did it wrong. And yet, not only is Paul telling of the grace of God that God continued to care for His people even when they turned away from Him, He's demonstrating it. He's standing in the synagogue of God's people of the people who have the heritage of the prophets and the patriarchs and the covenants. And he's saying, look, look at the grace of God. The grace of God continues for you. It is still on offer if you will embrace his son, Jesus. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean to see that God's action is rooted in the story? What does it mean to continue in that grace that he shows us? We have to devote ourselves to the story and to understanding the details rightly. To understand, to not just start with our own ideas. It's tempting to start with our own ideas of how we think the world should be, of how we should act in the world and go. And you can find you can find just about any Bible verse you want to prove any points you want. And if you go and look on the internet, you'll find it's already done there for you. There's lots of people who have taken their own ideas and t- taken a Bible verse and slapped it on them. they like, look, it's okay. I can do this. I can do that. But that's not what Paul calls us to. Paul calls us to root ourselves, to ground ourselves in understanding the details rightly. It takes work. It takes effort. But this is why we keep, here at Resurrection, we keep talking about studying the Bible. We try to root all of our worship services in the words of the Bible. We center our neighborhood Bible studies around, wait for it, the Bible. To study the Bible, to to go through the book of Mark. Verse by verse, passage by passage, to go through the book of Joshua, verse by verse, passage by passage, to see how these things fit together, that we might know the story rightly. And yet, as we focus on the grace of the, the story, through on being rooted in the story, we cannot miss the high points of the story. And Paul does not miss it either. That the focus is always, and always, always, always on Jesus on his death and resurrection. I mentioned how we've seen this kind of, this telling the story, this telling the history before in Stephen's speech, in Peter's speech. But it's interesting if you look at other speeches and acts, shorter ones, when they have to cut it down, what do they cut it down to? When Peter cuts it down in a quick word to the, the, the people after he heals the lame man, or quick word when he's before the court, and he doesn't really have time to go back and tell the whole story of God's work, throughout his people, he just limits himself to the focus. Jesus of Nazareth died. He was a man sent by God. He did miracles. He did good. He brought God's kingdom into the world. He died on the cross for your sins, and he rose again for your salvation. That's the core of the message, and it's still the core of the message here for Paul. Paul does go back through the Old Testament. He does tell the story of Israel, of Egypt, of Canaan, of of Saul, of Samuel, of Saul, of David. He does all these things, but then he moves on to Jesus. John ushered in a new age of Jesus, and then the focus on Jesus. And the details, they took him to Pilate to have him executed. They laid him down in a tomb. He was really dead, but he was raised from the dead. And this must always and forever be our focus, our rock, our anchor, that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. And if we lose our focus on that, we can get really distracted and we can get focused on a lot of other things. Have you ever gone uh, to, have you ever gone, if uh, you've ever, you ever been somewhere where you're taking, you see this beautiful scene, this beautiful sunset, this beautiful view, and you go to take a picture of it because it's beautiful. And then you look at the picture and you're like, that looks nothing like what I just saw. And one of the reasons why the pictures often look like nothing is you look at the picture and you're like, yeah, trash cans in the picture. Other people in the picture that I did not intend to see there. And all these things show up in the picture that when you were focused, you saw the beauty, you saw the glory, you saw the sunset and your eyes, your brain filtered out everything else that was less important. But when you're looking at it on a flat page, then all those other things jump out at you and they distract you. And you find it hard to enjoy the beauty and the glory of the picture of the scene that you remember because you see all these other distractions. And that can happen to us in this life. It can happen to us that as we go through our lives, we find ourselves looking not so much at the glory of firsthand experience, but we find ourselves looking at the picture the replica, and we see all these other things that distract our focus and take us away and and keep us from enjoying the glory and focusing on the glory and the hope and the sureness of Jesus' resurrection and the hope that that gives us. So Paul's call here, along with the rest of the apostles and all of their speeches and all of their proclamations to people, is to come back to the focus on Jesus. That the the, the 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 focus of what it means to be a Christian, the the whole sum of our religion is that it's not about a set of principles, it's not about a set of rules and rituals, but all of the principles, all of the rules, all of the rituals are designed to focus our hearts on the person of Jesus. So this morning, if you're not sure what it means to be a Christian, if you're not sure whether or not you even are a Christian, if you're not feeling the presence of God in your life, the hope and comfort of God, my, my encouragement to you, my exhortation to you is to come back to Jesus, to come and find the person of Jesus, to let everything else fall away, let the questions and the doubts, it's not that they're not important, it's not that God doesn't care about them, but the focus must be Jesus, to put away the picture with the distractions and lift your eyes to the glorious mountaintop lift your eyes to the sunset the beauty of god in creation the beauty of god in the person of jesus and where do we find that how do we know that we find that in his words one of the reasons why each bible New neighborhood bible study we start starts by going through mark is because that's where we see the person of jesus we get to meet him for ourselves and so if you've never explored that for yourself i would urge you to do that to see who this Jesus is. You can pick up Mark and read it for yourself. You can send me a message and say, hey, I'm interested. I want to know more about Mark. You can jump in on our Thursday night Bible study. Anybody, you don't have to live in Salem now. You can just jump in from anywhere to to uh, to keep to join us through Mark. If you're not ready for that, there's we have a, a course that we do from time to time called Christianity Explored. We're just in seven weeks. We go through Mark to see the person of Jesus, to see who he is. For those of you who are followers of Jesus and, and, and find yourself still wondering, what, how do I stay sane in this time? How do I stay closely connected to God? The message is still the same. Even for the, those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, it's still all about him. It's not like we start with following Jesus and then move on to something else, move on to bigger and better things. We always come back to his death and resurrection. And it's a great comfort. It's a great hope. It's a solid rock that we can stand on. I can say for myself that when when my mind starts to wander, when I start to doubt, when I start to wonder, is this, is this really what I should have devoted my life to? Is this, is this Christian thing really what I should be doing? Is this all just made up? Is this something I've just convinced myself of? I come back to the fact of the resurrection. And I'm reminded that the the facts, the the cold hard fact of the resurrection is indisputable. There's so many aspects of history of the early, of the response of the disciples after Easter Sunday, of the growth of the early church that cannot be explained other than by saying Jesus really did rise from the dead. It's one of the most, uh, one of the facts of history that we can be most confident in. Jesus really died on the cross. And he really rose from the dead. And if that's true, then everything else hangs on that. If we can be sure that Jesus died and rose again, then he was in fact the Son of God. He was in fact God himself. His words are true. His commands are true. He will come again as he promised. And so if you have been a follower of Jesus, if you've been a Christian, but you're struggling with doubt, you're struggling with uncertainty, Ground yourself in that fact. When you have nothing else to cling to, Jesus rose from the dead, and I can hold on to that. So where God's action is rooted in the story, we receive his grace in that. It's focused on Jesus' resurrection, his death and resurrection. We receive his grace in that. And yet it comes with a warning. And we have to receive his grace in the warnings too. And this is hard for us as as people because we are are saturated in our lives with warnings. You cannot pick up any new product without without seeing a warning label about all the terrible things you can do, whether it be a new medication, a new tool, a new this or a new that. Any battery has a warning on it that you shouldn't crack this open and drink the battery acid. Tide pods have warnings on them. They even have safety lids on them, right? we're so accustomed to warnings in this world that it's easy to tune them out and to not pay attention on them to them and yet we cannot do that with the warnings in the bible that paul's warning here is every bit as important as his story that he roots god's work in as his focus on jesus and the resurrection is the warning that he offers it's here it is in verse 40. It jumps out at this just after he's made the beautiful offer in verses 38 and 39. Let it be known to you therefore brothers that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. It's beautiful, it's stirring, it's for everybody. Freedom and forgiveness and then verse 40. Beware therefore lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Paul does not leave off the warning. And we cannot leave off the warning either. That God's offer, his free offer of grace, of forgiveness, of freedom from our sins, of forgiveness, is is more than just an offer. It's not not something that we can say, oh, that sounds nice, I'll take it today, I'll leave it tomorrow. I'm going to leave it today, maybe I'll pick that up another day. God's offer comes with a warning that it really is the only option before us. The only hope that we have for the forgiveness of our sins, for the freedom that we long for, for eternal life with him, the only hope that we have is to put our faith in Jesus, to join with him in this adventure, to commit our lives to him. And we have to take that warning seriously we have to listen so this morning if you're feeling if you're feeling uncertain take it or leave it not only is the glory there for you the glory is there for you the offer the free offer the hope the salvation is there but with it comes the warning nothing else is going to work there is no better option the wonderful line uh, there's a wonderful line in the silver chair. Uh, that book by C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and as, as I've probably mentioned before in our family, we listen to the Chronicles of Narnia somewhat incessantly. So we know them, we know them very well, and we quote them to one another regularly. Um, and there's this line where the great lion Aslan, the representative of Christ in those stories, uh, has met Jill. And Jill is a girl who's new to Narnia. She doesn't really know who Aslan is. She's just meeting him for the first time, and Aslan is a lion. And so he's a little bit scary. And he's standing by a stream, and she really is, is thirsty, and she wants a drink. And he says, well, come on, child, come and drink from the stream. And understandably, with the lion there, she's afraid to go and drink. And so they go back and forth a little bit. She says, well, can you can you look away? Uh, can you go away for a few minutes while I drink? And he says, no. Well, will you promise not to hurt me? He says, I make no promises. Well, do you eat people? I, I, I eat many people. And so finally, Jill says, well, I guess I better go and find another stream then. And Aslan says, there is no other stream. And that is the warning of Scripture. It's the warning of Paul. It's the warning of all of the Bible. It's the encouragement and the warning for us that there is no other stream. There is nowhere else for us to turn. And so we must turn to God. We must trust in him. And as we look on what that means, look at what the warning is. In verse 41, Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. And so when I think about this, this is not just a generic warning. There's a little bit more specificness to the warning. There's a warning against cynicism. And it's worth us taking that seriously as we live in a cynical and skeptical age. And we can fall into that ourselves as we have, as many of us have a natural tendency to be skeptical of what we hear, to be cynical about this and that. And yet Paul warns us there's, there's a, 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 a healthy skepticism. That's natural, that's good. But an over-skepticism, an over-cynicism that Paul is telling us puts us in danger if we get to the point where we will not even believe the promises of God, and yet there is no other stream. And so when we see the miracles of God in our lives, when we see what He has done throughout of history, the great hope of the resurrection, and even the miracles for each of us today. We heard last week about the miracle of Titus, of Titus's healing in the hospital, Titus's healing throughout his life. It does not do for us to look at that and say, well, he he probably just got a little bit better. That was just the natural course of events. It's a dangerous skepticism, a dangerous cynicism. And what God calls us to is faith. Faith to believe that his story continues. As we find ourselves rooted in the story, that story starts in the Old Testament. It runs right through the resurrection of Jesus and it continues to our present day. We understand those details rightly. We study it. We step into the story and we start to play our own part of it. Keeping our focus on Jesus, that most solid rock of all that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Because of that, we have hope and freedom and forgiveness. And there is no other stream. We have nowhere else to turn. So we put our faith in our good God and we continue in his grace. We pray with me? Father God, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for all that you have given to us. We thank you for these words from Acts, these words of Paul. We pray that you would continue to make them real for us today, that we might find our hope in you, in the sureness of your resurrection, and be anchored in that for the forgiveness of our sins and the freedom that comes from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.